Good morning, everyone. You're supposed to say good morning back. Thank you. I'm going to teach you, though, a ancient Christian Christmas greeting. And so we'll do this three times. I'll say Christ is born, and you say back, glorify him. Christ is born. Christ is born. Come on. Christ is born. Amen. Well, if you were going to get them, you have already got them. I'm talking about, raise your hand if you got a mailer in the mail inviting you to Christmas Eve service right here. A few of you got them. So it went out. We actually sent them to a couple thousand homes in Manitou, Old Colorado City area. And uh, we're prayerfully hoping that people will see them, receive them, and come to one of our two Christmas Eve services is coming up in just six days. We have a 2 p.m. and a 4 p.m. service. Thank you. All of you, there was a cost involved in that, and we had a Christian company and and send them out, and we got to work with our uh, New Life Central creative department. And so thank you, all of you that give regularly, reoccurringly to New Life Manitou. Thank you for your gifts. You know, we, we uh, appreciate one-time gifts and special offerings, but it's really those reoccurring gifts that we can look at 2023 and plan outreaches and new ministries like launching of the student ministries. We have plans and hopes and goals and future things. We're really excited about what's coming up for Christmas and then on to the new year of 2023. So Christmas, if you didn't know, seven days away. We'll have our Christmas Eve service, 2 and 4 p.m. Uh, just so you all know and can tell people uh, when you come into those services, if you have kids, we'll check them in up here into the system if they want to be checked in for later. So we'll check them in via, like the, we have an app to do that. And then they'll come in, we'll sing some songs of worship. And then if you want your kids to go downstairs, we'll have a lesson for them and a craft for them while we're up here uh, with the sermon and then the lighting of the candles, which some of of you are just like, yeah, my kids, they don't need to be lighting candles in a crowded room. And so like our four boys, they'll be downstairs because I was thinking about this this week. Like I'll be up here leading with the candles and Erica, my wife, she'll be right here leading us in worship and we'll just have four boys on the front row burning each other. So we thought we need a children's ministry. My goodness, we'll burn the church down. So that's Christmas Eve. We will also, uh, just as far as announcements go, uh, we, we have uh, received an offering a couple weeks ago. We did a legacy offering to pay off the building of New Life Church North, which is, I jokingly call it our mothership, uh, because they're kind of the mother of that planted us, New Life Manitou. And so we are eight congregations, all New Life Church in Colorado Springs and Manitou. And praise the Lord, we have paid it down to 3.7 remaining from what it once was when I was on staff uh, years ago. It was 27 million, and the mortgage payments for that were just outrageous. And so when we are debt free, which is coming very soon, uh, hopefully, praise the Lord, uh, it will just release so much money into the monthly uh, spending of what we get to do to serve people, to take care of people, to make disciples in the Pikes Peak region. So those are some announcements. Uh, We will have service on New Year's Day. That's a Sunday. So we'll have a party of donuts and we will talk about the new year and what God is doing. And then we do have a family meeting. Put this on your calendar. On the 9th of January, we'll have a family meeting. It's a Monday evening. We'll talk about the vision for 2023 and get into details and specifics and have a meal together. And then as if we weren't doing enough, 
we're going to launch our student ministry on the, on the 11th of January. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. So uh, high schoolers will have a place to come and to worship and make disciples, and it'll be an awesome outreach. So with all those announcements aside, are you ready to jump in to the sermon? Okay, well, let's turn in our scriptures to Matthew chapter 2. If you, While you're turning there, I'll put the title of today's sermon up because we're going to talk about the Magi, the Christmas story. The sermon title is this, like the Magi, worship, Magi worship Jesus. Like the Magi, worship is the true, the right response to Jesus. It's the correct response. The Magi show us how our response should be to Jesus. And so we're going to read the story of the Magi. And then we're going to talk about who these characters were. And, and I pray and hope that this sermon will be a blessing to you in both like a, a way that's like interesting and, and historical and getting into the depths of the word of God as well as very inspirational that we can look at these magi and see the true correct response of how we are to respond to the Lord. So if you would, would you stand with me? Matthew chapter two, verse one, if you're able to stand, um, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who is born king of the Jews? Listen to this phrase. We saw his star when it rose. I wish there was more about what that meant. But we've come to worship him. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then a direct quote from the Old Testament, Micah, says this, verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Verse 9 says, after they had heard the king, they went their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his, uh, the child with his mother Mary and they, listen to this, their response, they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Christ, you are in our midst. And right now, each and every one of us, we, we look to you. We look towards Christmas. And Lord, we want our response to be to you a correct, a true one. And so, we, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to bow down at your feet and worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Lord, you are holy and awesome, and we praise your name with joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people. Shouted? Amen. Amen. Pretty good. All right, sit down. This is going to be good. We're going to talk about the Magi. These are really interesting characters in the Bible. The Magi worship, this is the right 
the true response to Jesus. That's the title of this sermon. And I've kind of broken it down to two points. Point one is this. First, we'll talk about how he makes himself known, how God makes himself known in all the earth. So point one is this. Uh, Point one, God makes himself known to all the earth. If you're taking notes, point one, I want to talk about this because God made himself known to the Magi through the stars. Like what an interesting thing. And if I have my finger on the pulse of Man of Two Springs. I've lived here 15 years. Anybody live here 15 years or more? Uh, so you, you kind of, maybe you know, like me, Man of Two Springs, what it's known for, quirky little hippie weird town. But I would also say, as a pastor, I would say a, a, a spiritual place. Not a, not a Christian town, but a very spiritual place, Manitou. This is just me kind of talking about what I, what I think of Manitou when I talk to people. I think the average person would say they're spiritual. They might have spiritual beliefs that are Eastern or Buddhist. They might have uh, mixed in kind of like a mother earth or respect for earth or the spirits or spiritual or maybe some Native American things in their journey of faith. But I think if you talked to the average Manitou person, They would probably say, I'm spiritual and I'm searching. I'm on my way. I'm looking. I'm I'm on a journey, right? I see a lot of you nodding your heads. Like that's kind of Manitou. Manitou people are spiritual and searching and looking. But as soon as someone says, hey, I've been searching and I've found something. I found something. People are like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. We're not finding anything. We're just searching, dude. Like we're man we're searching, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're looking. No one's finding, we can't find anything. And I wanna tell you, the good news, the gospel that we believe in, the God that we believe in says, no, you can find truth. You can find God, even through creation. Psalm 19, I, I love the Psalms. Anybody else's favorite book in the Bible, the Psalms? Psalm 19 is one of the psalms that stands out uh, amongst the psalms. Uh, I have, every morning I have uh, four boys, and each morning I spend a little bit of time with each boy, and we read um, some scripture. Then we uh, look at a psalm and we memorize it. And it takes quite a quite a quite a while to memorize them. But my oldest son just finished memorizing Psalm 19, and it's a wonderful psalm. We'll put it up here. Psalm 19 says this, and and while I'm reading this. Would you think about the Magi seeing a star and leading them to the birth of our God? Psalm 19 says, for the director of music of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no words, but yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Think about that in reference to the Magi. Like there, there's these men looking at the stars and somehow getting a message from God that he has come to earth. And they make a decision to go, to come from the east and go west and to find him and to worship him. So let's talk about these characters. How many of you call them Magi? How many of you call them wise men? How many of you call them like the three kings? You know that song, the, 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 the Christmas song? You have to get in like your opera voice. We three kings from Orient. And I don't know the rest of it, but I do know that part. 
It's from the perspective of the three kings. And, and it's like, well, who are these guys? What are these individuals? Are they kings or are they magi or are they wise guys? And like, who, like, who are they? The Greek here in this text says magoi is the Greek word, which is maybe the best translation could be magician. But when I think of magician, I think of like guys going to like 10-year-old birthday parties and doing like rabbit tricks. So they weren't that. They weren't like magicians. They were religious scholars of their time that somehow had an overlap of like political and spiritual Connection. I'll talk about that in just a minute, but I want you to picture uh, the nativity scene, right? Does everybody have the picture in their mind, a postcard of the nativity scene? Who's there? Jesus, that's a good first answer. Mary's there, Joseph's there. Are there animals there? Yes, you better believe it. Is there a star up there? Of course there is. And in this, I'm just talking like the quintessential nativity scene. There's a star. Are there angels there? You better believe it. There's angels there. And how many wise men are there? Three. There's always three. Each one of them holds a tiny little box. And there there are the shepherds there. Of course they're there. That's the quintessential nativity scene, right? And there's a lot right with it because it has like all the pieces of the story in one place. It's an icon. It's beautiful. It's, it's what you think of when you think of Christmas. But there's also, I'm going to, I'm going to, Bust your bubble. I'm not here to be the Scrooge. I'm just going to say that there's a lot wrong with that image because the angels and the shepherds and these magi are all different stories. And the, the magi probably came maybe a year or more after Jesus was born. Was that news to some of you? Did I just crush your whole like nativity scene? You're like, why? I got to redo it. And if you do, just like put the, put the wise men over, you know, a little further. They're, they're on their way. When the, the, the angel appears to the shepherds that night and says, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Today has been born in the city of Bethlehem, a savior. And they, these, these shepherds, these very poor, like homeless, because it says they were abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Where were they living? In the field, they had no home. They were very poor. The poorest of that ancient world were these shepherds taking care of somebody else's sheep. An angel appears to them, and they're the first ones that day to go and proclaim what they had seen, that a savior has been born. And then we, we think that it was probably, at least I would say, a year later, because the, the Greek here is that they, the Magi find baby Jesus and Mary in a home. It says house. So, so the manger scene, that's, that's, that's already come and gone. And the word that they use to describe Jesus, the Greek word is pation, which we would probably say like a toddler. So when they found the toddler, so it's like Jesus at this point is probably walking and your kids usually walk around one or so. And so this is probably a year later, the Magi show up. And it doesn't say anywhere. This is some more disappointing news to you and your postcard image of the nativity scene very sorry to break this news to you, but it doesn't say that there were three magi. There could have been any number of them. And, and so what I've always kind of thought is a caravan of people. This is just kind of me talking and thinking out loud. But I'm going to tell you that these wise men came with a huge treasure and it came a long distance. If they came from Babylon, that's 700 miles away. And I'll give you uh, the Babylon thing in just a second. But they're coming to a foreign land, 
They're, they're going west. They've come from the east, and they probably had a security detail. They probably had uh, people to take care of the animals and the things carrying the caravan. They probably had tents and people to set up and people to cook. And so my guess is this was a big caravan, maybe 25, maybe 50. I'm just guessing. But a huge caravan of people come to meet and have court with the king of the Jews, Herod. And then they go off, and they're trying to find this child who has been born. Now, I mentioned Babylon. That Once again, that's speculation. It doesn't say where the, the Magi came from. It just uses the word they came from the east. Well, how far and, and what part? Who knows? Speculation. But there is an interesting verse. I'm going to lean us into a little bit of speculation. And some of you really like this stuff like me. Like, oh, that's, that's Bible nerdy stuff. And I like Bible nerdy stuff. So in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 48 There's this passage about Daniel. You know Daniel, right? Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel hundreds of years before Jesus. He's a Jewish person exiled to Babylon. He's in Babylon, and there's this random verse that says, Daniel 2.48, then the king placed Daniel, the king of of like Babylon, the king placed Daniel, this Jewish person, in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire providence of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its what? Like what? And so this is this gets interesting because you're like, you're just kind of speculating and what ifing. But like, what if Daniel taught some wise men 600 years before Jesus and gave him some prophetic knowledge and understanding, and that information got passed down to the Magi who were looking in the skies for the sign that God was being born on earth. I'm just speculating. It's what ifs. This is interesting stuff to me. Is it interesting to you? Okay, amen. I see some heads nodding. This is interesting. The wise men, let me talk a little bit about them. Uh, I'm going back and forth between wise men and Magi and kings. And I think kings isn't a crazy term to use for them because they were some sort of diplomatic, religious person that had that had the authority and the wealth and riches to like go and appoint is that the right word kings to recognize kings they could also dispose of kings this was a uh, an ancient position in the eastern world at this time that there was this combination of religion and politics that often melded together with individuals like these magi the best thing i could think of is like maybe in the middle ages uh, like bishops and kings if they, they had a partnership then the bishop could crown a king and there was this combination between religion and politics. This other uh, comparison might be a bit of a stretch, but I just finished, uh, last week I finished uh, Billy Graham's uh, autobiography, Just As I Am. It was a great read. I I loved reading about Billy Graham and his ministry, and he just had a heart for evangelism. And towards the end of the book, he says, one of the things I regret uh, for Billy Graham, he said, I regret like picking and promoting one candidate over another and aligning myself in politics. He says, I wish I would have just been a pastor to the presidents and, and political leaders. But he, he says that he regrets that because he had that kind of power. Like people looked at Billy Graham and said, Who, who's Billy Graham backing? Who's Billy Graham voting for? I guess I'll vote for them. And I guess in, in a, in a, in a stretch, these magi were kind of like that, combining religion and, and what they thought God was speaking to them and telling them to do with the political powers and entities of the day. So these men are not, uh, the, the, the shepherds are the ones that are homeless and lowly. 
these wise men who come have both influence and wealth, political influence and worldly wealth. And they come to Jesus and they bear him gifts. What are the gifts? Pop quiz, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Or if you're a little kid, gold, frankensteins, and smurfs. <laughs> and so what are these gifts? I spent way too much time this week researching frankincense and myrrh and gold and the values of these things. And I've just like with different historians and commentators tried to figure out like, like what's a number? Like, okay, they give these gifts to Jesus. They're obviously valuable, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what was the value of these gifts? Can, can we just get a ballpark? I'm trying to get like, wouldn't it be nice if we had a ballpark figure? Like, what was that worth? Like, I remember uh, buying my first car. This is back in 1997. I was buying my first car. And uh, this was back in the day, like some of you like don't even, like how did you buy a car from another person back then? You went to something called a newspaper and there were classifieds. And then you would phone call, like you pick up a phone and you would like literally call someone and say, hey, I want to talk to Bob about his uh, Ford Escort he's selling. And he would go on and on and you would arrange a price and then some, you would meet up with this person. I remember calling on one of the cars and no price was listed. Is that, is that anybody else's pet peeve? Like, I'm trying to buy something. How much is it? That's like the first question. How much is it? And so I call this person. I, I talk, I'm calling about this car. And he's like some lonely guy that's just into cars and wants to talk. talk. And so I'm just listening. It's like, okay, yeah, it's got the big block. Okay, sir, how much do you want for it? Well, it's also got the rake, racing package. And okay, sir, how much do you want? Well, you know, the tires are really new. Okay, sir, how, how much is it? And he just, he wouldn't answer the question. So I'm like about to finish the call. And finally he says to me, well, how, how much do you have? You know, what, what do you, well, what's your budget? And I said, well, I have, uh, I had $1,500 that, which back then was a lot of money and for a car. And my parents had $1,500. Thank you, mom and dad, if they're watching online. And so they, they matched what I had. So I had a budget of $3,000. So I'm talking to this guy who's going on and on about the tires and the engine, a single overhead cam, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, how much? And he finally asked me, well, how much do, do you have? And I said, well, I have a budget of $3,000. And then you know what I heard on the other end of the phone? Like he just hung up. Like it's tell, like why would I wasted 15 minutes? Like just give me the number. Like what price? And so I'm gonna do that now with this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm gonna just round and not give you a number. Are you okay with that? Like, no, just get, like how much? Give me a guess. So this is just a guess. You can quote me on this, but then also quote that it's just a guess. We don't really know. But in my research, uh, it's not just my guess. Other commentaries have said that this is a quite a valuable sum of money. And, and then how do you get that a sum of money in the ancient world to today and a number that we would understand as Americans and people who are, have a lot and wealth? Uh, if we were to compare that number and, and a big amount of money that was given to Jesus with, with maybe what we would think is like a big amount of money today. Here's the number. Are you ready? Just a guess. And I've told people this number and they're like, that's, that's a lot of money. Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I, th I think so. Like that's, here's the number. Five million. That's what I think. That's a large, like, wow, that's a lot of money. Cause here, and, and then it kind of answers some random questions. So here we are. We're getting into a little speculation. Are you okay with that? Uh, give me two minutes of speculation. But if that gift was that much, it does answer some questions. Like, because Mary and Joseph were dirt poor. When Jesus is born, did they even have a crib? Did they even have a bassinet? 
They had, they put the child in a like feeding trough that animals ate out of. Like they're, they're dirt poor. They're in someone else's property in with like animals and Jesus is in a manger. That's what a manger is, by the way, is a feeding trough. They had nothing. And then all of a sudden in the story, they flee to Egypt. Then they come back from Egypt. They have enough money to travel around and bring Jesus to the temple. Remember when he's a little boy? Then you think about like the, the, the questions some of us have about Jesus' ministry. Here he is as an adult with 12 friends roaming the countryside traveling from place to place. They have a purse that must have had a lot, enough money in it because it says in one verse that Judas was helping himself to it. And apparently no one noticed because the, the purse had enough money in it. And they was always kind of known, Jesus was accused of someone who was always like eating and drinking and kind of having festivities. And so it was like, well, that would answer like where that money came from. Just speculation. Have you ever thought about that? Like, like, like whatever it is and whatever amount, some of you are like, there's no way that was five mil. Um, I don't know. I don't know, we don't know, just speculation. Here's what I do know. We're supposed to know from the text of this scripture that that was a lot of money, that these gifts were very valuable. In my research, I found that, that probably the, the incense, the, the frankincense is an incense and the myrrh is an incense, that those two things were more valuable than the gold. And so the nativity image of like a tiny little, you know, little box, uh, is, is, that's probably out the window. It's probably, at least in my... My speculations. It was probably like a whole horse was carrying like huge quantities of these spices and it was supposed to be seen. We're supposed to know that this is great wealth being given to baby Jesus because the wise men, these men came from the east and bared gifts to the one who they thought was God because they've come to worship him. And there's something about worship and giving. And, um, you know, the theology of giving is, you know, the wallet and the heart are actually really close tied together. In churches, you've probably heard this, uh, it might be um, just kind of a silly saying, but we worship God with the three T's. Have you heard this? Our time, our talent, and our treasure, or tithe, yeah. So time, talent, tithe. This is how we worship the Lord. And many of us would say that, that you love worshiping the Lord with your time. You come to church, you serve in church, spend time in prayer, spend time reading scripture. This is your, your first and best. Some of you wake up early in the morning, you spend your first hours with the Lord. That's your time with the Lord. Some of you, just that just comes easily. And naturally, some of you love serving the Lord with your talents, whatever the Lord has given you. I think about every week, the band that's up here with my wife, Erica, and leading worship, they're all volunteers. And they lead, they come early to church, they get here at the crack of dawn, they practice throughout the week. They're serving with their talents. And I think all of them would say, well, of course, we do so with joy. We love doing that. And then the other T, the, the tithe, or we worship the Lord with our treasure. This is the one where I, I think, just speculating here, that many of us would be like, well, that, that's the hard one. And Jesus said the, the phrase that uh, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. In a theology of giving, as it applies to worship, we give God everything. We give God our time, our talent, and our treasure. And I think what the wise men, these magi, show us is here's how to worship. They bow down at the feet of Jesus, the giving of their physical presence. They've come all this way. They've given of their time. And then they bring great, wonderful treasure. This is what the worship of the Lord looks like. The magi show us this right response to Jesus.
So as we wrap up this sermon now, point two is this, worship God. It's a simple two-word phrase, worship God. This is our response to Jesus, to worship him. The title of this sermon, once again, the Magi Worship. And this is the right, the true response to Jesus. Like the Magi, the Magi are like showing us the way. This is what we are to do in response to Jesus. That he is fully God, born, placed in a manger, and people come from like from the stars and from God's creation. They come to worship him and proclaim him. Worship, that word just means reverence, adoration, bringing yourself to the Lord. And this is what our response should be to Jesus. Worship is a wonderful thing. One of my other favorite Psalms, Psalm 34, nine, says, worship God if you want the best. This is the message translation. Worship God if you want the best. Worship opens doors to all his goodness. And so when we come to the Lord to give, we come to the Lord to give of our time, talent, and treasures. We come to the Lord to give of our worship. Do you know what he does? He lavishes back on us. He just lavishes on us, really. Salvation, his goodness, peace, mercy. So we come to God to give of our worship. And instead, he gives to us. And we consider the cross, that, that we know, if you know the Christmas story, you know that a child is born, and it's not just any old child. It's fully God. The fullness of the Godhead and divinity is Jesus. And we know that he gets older. We know that he has a, a life of ministry. He proclaims the most wonderful things about love and truth and who God the Father is. And then he goes to the cross, and he dies, and he is buried. He raises from the dead, and he proclaims peace, and salvation to everyone. So would you in this moment uh, bow your heads with me? We're going to pray, and then we're gonna receive communion. The band, you can come up now. I have one last song to sing with us this morning. So Lord, we, we contemplate your holiness and goodness that you've made yourself known in all of creation. You made yourself known to these magi. And Lord, as we look on to this Christmas story Lord, we want our hearts to turn to you in worship. Lord, we want our hearts to turn to you in holy reverence, adoration. So, Lord, we praise you and we worship you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to invite everyone in here. If you believe in Jesus, then you can come to the communion table with us. And you'll find, you might have to look around. There should be baskets uh, on the floor back next to your chairs. And uh, anybody that would like to receive, make sure you have elements. Make sure people around you uh, get past elements. And this bread of life, if you, if you take out the bread, would you stand with me after you, you find the elements? Um, the bread is on the top, and Jesus called himself the bread of life. On his last meal with his disciples, before the next day, he would be betrayed that night and then killed the next day. He took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. So as we've come today, believing, putting our hope and faith in the Lord, we've come to worship and he comes to give us life and salvation. And so we receive this mystery of his body broken for us with hope and faith. So would you receive the bread with me? We also take the cup 
Jesus said it's a cup of a new covenant. His blood shed for us. And we receive the mystery that his life has been poured out for us, his salvation for us. And so we praise him and we thank him. Would you receive the cup with me? Lord, we close now in prayer, singing a song about your coming and the, the, the highest hallelujah and glory. Lord, you are so good to us. We give you our worship in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.